Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And I want to give you a little introduction today. I have Adam Marmon on the show, and this was an awesome talk because Adam uh, works for Life Force Lasers, and he really geeks out on this stuff in just such an awesome way. Like he knows the body inside and out when it comes to uh, photobiomodulation. So fancy word that we're going to toss around here, um, but is it's really using light as as therapy and. I really hope you guys dig this, uh, either from two two different ends, and I think we we try and touch on a little bit of each from the clinician end, like for, for myself, like what am I using this for in practice, and how excited I've been to uh, be able to start using this and offer it, but then also what you can do as uh, somebody who's looking for laser therapy for photobiomodulation and really just all of the healing aspects that it has and really what it can do for the body, but all in all, uh, light is a beautiful thing. Uh, I've been using this now uh, a couple years and really starting to dig it. Uh, but I hope you should enjoy the rest of the show with Adam as he just shows so much of what can really be done with this. Alrighty guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Adam Marmon. Now, Adam, first question I always ask people is, share with us your health journey up to this point. And I want you to tie that in if you wouldn't mind, uh, because you're you're big with laser. Uh, You've done a lot with it, and uh, that's kind of how we connected. So uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, diving in, sharing with us, please. Well, first, Nick, thanks so much for having me on. This is really exciting opportunity um, and I just wanted to, to, you know, take a shout out to, to Robbins and, and you guys for, for letting us work with you. Um, you. my journey is, is certainly quite circuitous. I, I started off in academia. Uh, I was very interested in medicine, uh, thought about medical school, thought about different clinical degrees and kind of found myself, uh, in the academic world, pursuing a master's, which turned into a PhD, which turned into a postdoc. And all along the way, it was just picking up different skills and different tools to try to create a unique niche for myself professionally. Uh, I worked in basic science as an exercise physiologist and as a motor control specialist, then moved into neurophysiology with my PhD. Uh, Then I did a postdoctoral training where I was able to get a lot of clinical experience working with physical therapy. Um, That's where I did a lot of biomechanics research and started to apply my neurophysiological background in a clinical setting. Um, from there, I was able to get introduced to laser because the CEO of, of LightCure or LightForce, our, our medical brand, is uh, a biophysicist who was working with some other side projects, one of which involved testing uh, a, a new device for biofeedback with muscle. And having the background in muscle, he and I found ourselves in a, in a similar meeting, uh, and I learned a little bit about what he was doing with laser. And I decided to kind of take a jump from academia into industry. And and uh, Brian Pryor, our CEO, who, who was involved with this muscle physiology device and, again, started our company, uh, seemed to think I would be a good fit bringing my clinical and science background uh, into the laser community to try to support not only the treatment and the dosing, but to help our director of clinical development stay on top of the, the new developments in the research so this is one of the big things I want to talk to you about. So this is going to be awesome. Like laser, let's just start off. <laughs> Why are we even talking about laser today? Because people have so many misconceptions. Like, well, I mean, not necessarily misconceptions. There are so many different uses for laser. Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing, like, okay, specific uh, to the laser maybe that we're talking about. And like, how long has this been around? Because this is something that we're just kind of starting to hear about, I think, more. So, so let's start with the real basics. Laser is an acronym for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. A lot of big words, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, it, it can get, get overwhelming and people, but but the term, it, it is an acronym. And and, mm-hmm. and this amplification of, a, of, a, of, of a radiation is, is harnessing light the same way the sun emits light using a diode to create a very specific wavelength. And laser, because it's, it's essentially being absorbed by the body, it does act, 
in some way the same as plants absorb light for energy in, in the plant world. We've got some um, parts of our cells that produce energy, one of which is the electron transport chain, which is going back to basic biology. And on the electron transport chain, we have things called chromophores, which are similar to, again, like we think with plants, the chromophore absorbs the light and allows this cascade of activity to take place at the cellular level. So real scientific -y explanation, but if you break it down to its simplistic form, what laser does is it gets absorbed by the tissue and allows the tissue to create a very environmentally friendly, um, or, or a very friendly environment with high metabolism, a lot of energy, a lot of resources available to the cells so they can do their job more effectively. And it also creates an improved circulation. So you get rid of the byproduct of, of tissue breakdown or the byproduct of even the start of rebuilding tissue. And you allow for new energy, new metabolisms, new vitamins and minerals to get to the site. So you get this kind of, I use the construction site analogy, you're getting rid of the waste and the byproduct breakdown and you're allowing new materials to come or at least the ability for new materials to be used efficiently. So the question of how can laser be used, that goes to that simplistic level. At the cellular level, almost all cells will respond to laser because all cells have mitochondria, which is where this electron transport chain takes place. So all cells will absorb light, some of which can use the light to get into a healthier environment and get their job done. And as far as the history, we can go back decades, if not even further, where there was an experiment done um, that had nothing to do with laser. It was it was some animals in a, in a cage. Um, they were shaved for some kind of surgical procedure. And one of the cages had light on and the other one didn't. And lo and behold, to the investigators, there was this really rapid recovery of hair growth in the animals that had the, the light on and not so much in the animals that didn't. So the scientists started saying, well, that's kind of odd. What's different other than a light? And lo and behold, you had the beginning of this kind of understanding that light does something. And over the course of decades, um, there was a lot more understanding and improved understanding of that light can affect tissue in a positive way, all the way to the point of how laser, very specific wavelength and focused light can be absorbed. Um, then you get into power and you get into wavelength and all these other factors that about 10 years ago, the FDA gave clearance to what's now known as class four lasers, which is really has to do with power. So anything above a half a watt is considered class four lasers. Anything less than a half a watt is class three or three B is the more more uh, refined definition of class three and three uh, B and four differentiates the different types of therapeutic lasers. And we know from the work that not only we've done that, but that's been done in the literature that the higher powered lasers allow more energy to get to deeper tissue. They allow the clinician to deliver that laser treatment in less time. And there's some more evidence recently that there's a more analgesic effect with some of the brighter light or the more powerful lasers. So I, think I can that definitely talk question. to that. Like, no, I, I think that's a huge part of it. So not like you said, just how deep and infected it can have but the analgesic effect was amazing because adam and i just recently like up this week again and uh we were kind of going over some different powered lasers uh and i must say like the the difference between them feels quite quite different like it, it's not just like oh yeah i can kind of tell there's a difference like no it's pretty astounding uh how much of an effect it can have yeah for sure and and it's always important to make sure that we're clear when we say the heat or the warmth that's generated during any kind of light treatment is a byproduct of the cells absorbing that light. There's no actual heat being imparted by the laser. We did a little experiment in our office. I share an office with a guy who's involved in quality, uh, and he was doing a test on the software of one of our newer systems. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, you know, I got to run this laser, you know, put your glasses on because, you know, we can talk about the, the, the risks with laser and, there is certainly a risk to the eye and we provide glasses. So I'm sitting at my desk working and I have my glasses on and he ran this laser for a solid 40, 45 minutes. And I went over and I was kind of expecting to see some warmth or feel some warmth on the head of the laser. But because it wasn't going into skin, it wasn't being absorbed by anything because he was pointing it to a distant wall. There was really no absorption. 
there was no warmth whatsoever at the edge <laughs> of the laser. It floored me. It made no sense to me. But it, I'm it was with the first you. Time, <laughs> it was the first time I understood that that byproduct of light being absorbed by the skin is what creates that warmth. I think it's hard to convey how big of a deal that is. Like, if you haven't had this done, so. Adam came to give us a talk a few months back and we were, we'd been using the laser and he came and then he started explaining that to me and I was just blown away because I had used the laser. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's warm. Like, there's no way. But no, and, and that just speaks to like the the power, the the effect that it truly is having, like you said, at that cellular level. So I, I love that you bring that up. Thank you. Yeah, and, and the other thing to talk about with power, too, it's important, is we know that cells, individual cells, need enough photons, enough energy to kickstart that whole cascade, that whole cellular mechanism that I talked about. And if you have a damaged tissue, it's important to be able to get enough photons, enough energy to all the tissue that you're treating, and not just individual cells, but saturate that area that may be soft tissue damage or muscle damage or not only the damaged area, but the surrounding area, because the surrounding area, if you improve that blood flow and you improve that that cellular environment, that, that making it the metabolism of that environment richer and healthier in the surrounding tissue, that allows, again, the whole area to be able to have better blood flow and more uh, metabolites and more um more of the, the proteins and all the synthesis of the RNA and mRNA. And again, the cell biology gets even above my head to a degree. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, we always think about with class four laser, particularly with the higher power lasers, you can really treat a larger swath of tissue because you're emitting light at a rate, a higher rate, more power is joules per second are the units. So more power allows you to treat a much larger area of tissue then if you have a lower power laser where you run the risk of, you know, maybe some of the tissue gets that cascade and gets that threshold for an effect, as opposed to really making sure that you're saturating that tissue and allowing all the tissue, even in the perimeter of the damaged area, to get the benefits of, of what we now call photobiomodulation, PBM. That's kind of the mechanism of action that laser operates under. Can you... Describe, and I think you have talked about it a little bit so far, but I don't know that everybody would quite pick up on it. Like, okay, what is photobiomodulation? Like, just what does that mean? So photobiomodulation in a nutshell is the process through which light is absorbed. So photo being light, bio is biological tissue, and modulation is essentially adjusting or, um, you know, I hate to define a word by word, but you're modulating the, the, the energy and the, the metabolism of a cell. And by increasing that metabolism, you're providing the, the whole cascade of downstream cellular mechanisms that can take place starts from energy. And ATP is the, the kind of the molecule that's used to create energy transfer within the human body. It's a very basic science uh, principle that more ATP, it's like putting more gas in your car. If you can have more ATP, uh, available, the, the car can run longer, the cells can lo run longer. And if you have more ATP present, more cells can do their, their job. You also have nitrous oxide, which is a byproduct of this photobiomodulation. When you go through and the light is absorbed, nitrous oxide is kicked off. And the kickoff of that nitrous oxide, uh, it, it's a well-known vasodilator. So it improves blood flow um, at the micro level. So you've got, again, the ability to get rid of the byproduct, as well as get new cells and new uh, minerals and vitamins to the area. There's also reoxygen oxygen species, which we know inflammation is essentially too much uh, free radicals, too many uh, oxygen molecules that aren't bound to anything and that they can be damaging and they can cause a whole series of cellular signaling that creates this inflamed environment. And with the reoxygen oxygen species, you're taking up these free radicals, and you're, again, helping to create a, a healthier environment for the whole tissue. You put all these together, the downstream signaling that takes place, the protein synthesis, the fibroblast activity, which is essentially how we create new tissue. Instead of scarring up, we're able to lay down the framework for new tissue, new biological tissue to be laid, instead of what the body likes to do when there's damage and it can't fix it, is just to kind of put... I, I use the analogy of spackle on a wall. You know, instead of 
cleaning the wall and filling it and, and putting a new layer of paint, we just spackle over it to keep it from maybe, you know, having a hole. And that spackle doesn't allow it, the, the scar tissue doesn't allow the tissue to be pliable. Uh, if it's at the surface, it can be ugly. If it's under the surface, it can lead to adhesions and it can lead to, you know, reduced performance in muscle and in tendon. It, it's, it's just a difference between a healthy tissue and a scarred up tissue. One of the things I want to go back to that you had said before, um, you brought up like risks. Let's talk about like uh, safety risks because you said, okay, like with the eyes, but I mean, okay, there's still shining a light there. Uh, and, you, and you mentioned uh, like, okay, too, also it was cold, but when it gets onto the body, it can be warm. Like what do you have to watch out for, for like any of those types of things too, please? So the, the, the primary risk is to the eyes. And with any of our systems, you get glasses that are specifically designed to protect against the wavelengths that our lasers emit. Our lasers emit wavelengths of 808 and 980. And you can see the, on the glasses, it's etched on the glasses that that's what these glasses are designed for. We always kind of joke, you want to make sure your patients aren't walking out with these glasses because they can, they're not going to do anything for the sun. They may be stylish, but they're not sunglasses. <laughs> Similarly, yeah, we, we have had people walk out and say, these are cool. I'm going to take them. Uh, not going to do anything for you in the sun. Similarly, if somebody was to walk in with a pair of really nice, like Oakley glasses that are polarized, they're not going to help protect the eyes against our wavelengths. So that's the primary risk. We do have some contraindications, um, but the, the risk to, I hate to say it on uh, when I'm working with a patient, but to burning the skin is it, it, it's possible. But we have the pleasure of working with humans. Um, we also have within our business a lot of veterinaries, uh, a lot of veteran, uh, veterinarians who use our lasers, both with large animals like equine horses, all the way down to small pets. Um, they can't communicate with their patients and say, hey, how does that feel? Is it too warm? With humans, you, you can. And you can have that conversation while you're treating, and we encourage you to do it regularly. Make sure that you're talking to your patients and you understand how it's feeling. Um, but just as with any other technology or even any other device, I, I use the analogy of cutting, you know, an onion with a knife that you can cut yourself if you don't use it correctly. If, if you don't use a laser correctly, you certainly could run the risk of, of damaging tissue. But it's, it's a lot more unlikely um, if it's used properly. We take a lot of pride in the fact that we work with our customers. We train them how to properly use it. Um, and again, communication with your patients. There are some patients who are on light or heat sensitive medications, and we want to make sure that we're not going to damage the skin because they can't tell us um, that it's getting too warm. So we are, there's a high level of precaution there where you may turn the energy down uh, and or reduce the treatment time, um, feeling the skin yourself as the clinician just to make sure that you're not putting the patient at risk. Uh, other contraindications have to do with a high level of precaution because there's not enough evidence in the literature. One being over uh, any kind of uh, electrical implantation, the pacemaker being the most obvious. We don't treat over a pacemaker. We want to make sure that we're not interfering with the electrical uh, components of a device that you know keeps people alive. We don't treat over epithelial What about lines. joint replacement? So you bring up like something like that. So joint replacements are not a problem because, again, we're dealing with light absorption. And the metal on a replaced or an implant will reflect the light. It's not going to absorb it. You know, the, 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 the most common analogy is ultrasound. Ultrasound vibra is, a, is essentially a sound wave that is used to, to make a mechanical change in the tissue, which leads to increased blood flow. But you can't do it over bone and you can't do it over an implant because that vibration can be damaging either to the bone or to dislodge or loosen the implant. With light, because it's going to either be absorbed, reflected, refracted, or transmitted, and with, with a metal implant, it's going to be reflected. There's no concern. As a matter of fact, it does very well post-surgically, uh, particularly with something like a joint replacement. Yeah, and no, I agree. I just wanted to kind of bring that up because people will hear that. Um, no, I think you're – sorry, you were diving into uh, epiphyseal uh, joints then too, please. Yeah, so the only other real contraindications that we have are um, we don't really know clearly in the literature how – um, bones are responding. There's a lot of evidence coming out now uh, in the literature with regard to um, teeth and, and periodontal type of work and that lasers are doing great with reossification and, and 
and uh, the pulp that's involved with, with teeth and in the jawline. So the bone does respond very well, but we don't know how it'll interfere with growth. So we typically would say you don't want to treat over an open epithelial line of a, of a growing child. Um, some of the animal literature may be suggesting that it would increase growth, which is counterproductive, counterintuitive, but we still don't want to have uneven lengths in the bones of our developing children. So we just avoid that completely. Um, similarly, we avoid anybody who is pregnant. We don't treat over a lumbosacral area, whether it be a developing fetus or, or a, 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 you know, an embryo. We just don't know how they would respond. Um, so you don't want to treat over that tissue. We don't treat over active cancer, uh, cancerous tumors, because tumor, by definition, is essentially an uncontrollable growth. We don't want to put the cells in a really healthy, growing environment to kind of feed that cancer. Um, so that's another area that we don't typically treat. Um, and then uh, we don't treat over glandular, glandular tissue because we don't want to get involved with influencing the, the hormonal uh, and biochemistry of, of, of people. So that's pretty much, I think, the six um, epiphyseal plates, uh, electrical implantable devices, pregnancy, uh, glandular tissue. Um, uh, what am I missing? I think that was the six drawn a complete blank now uh well we have to be careful still with like any uh the medications right the uh, heater, sensitivities the correct uh, yeah that in the eyes i think i, don't know. I, I missed if you said that one sorry uh, no. okay so you've mentioned research a bunch of times like i'm starting to find out more and more what i find this works well with in part because of, Hey, some of the research we've discussed, I've done some research. I've actually had one of my students like gave us a, basically a research project where she went in and looked into a lot of this for us too. But if you wouldn't mind just sharing, let's start with like some of the basic things, like what are the best bang for your buck? Like both clinically, uh, both in the research, what are people really finding, uh, best effects with? Well, so if we start back at the FDA clearance, um, the fact that lasers has been cleared to be used for treating inflammation um, and, and increased blood flow and, and for, for reducing pain, mm -hmm. any kind of itis, you know, by definition, <laughs> yeah, and, and itis is a swelling of, right? So, you know, arthritis is certainly com one of the most commonly uh, studied. There's a lot of really good evidence, particularly with class four laser. Uh, we go back to the kind of the comment that I made about the consistency of the results. Some of the preliminary research that had come out um, 5, 10, 15 years ago that found laser to be somewhat inconclusive, you know, we feel that the reason it was inconclusive is that the dosing wasn't correct. You weren't getting enough of a response, that threshold that we talked about. You weren't getting enough of the, the tissue reaching that threshold to get the photobiomodulation to take place. But with the class four lasers, particularly with some of the systems that we have, because we have a, a, a patent on a massage head, allows you to deliver the laser, get more of that energy to deeper tissue. We're getting great results on low back, neck, deeper tissue. Uh, and some of the evidence in the literature now with low back treatment is, is certainly one of the, um, the great areas that people are finding a lot of success in reducing pain, um, reducing that inflammation that may be causing the pain. Uh, and getting people to start laying down new tissue. We're not trying to claim that we're putting cartilage on, on bone. You know, we're not curing arthritis. But oftentimes the problem with arthritis is the symptoms, that it, the, the, the damage to the bone itself, if it's not cracking and, and osteoporotic, it is really not as big of a deal as the, the symptoms associated with arthritis. So if we can help reduce the inflammation and we can help reduce the pain, people can go on to live, you know, more comfortable, more functional, you know, more higher quality of life. Um, and, and here, I, I want to put a plug in kind of for PT with this. That's why we've been so happy with it. Like, that's why I enjoy using this so much with patients because they have to understand, like, this may not completely be the end all be all, but it allows them to now, okay, like you said, if, if they just could not squat down to tie their shoes or to pick up uh, like I'm looking at a laundry basket right now, like, I mean, anything like that, but now they can just actually start moving there. Now they can get some other, that strengthening, they can get that joint mobilization. Like they can get that range of motion back that they had been lacking for five, 10, 15 years. So it really can have a profound effect on that carryover with, uh, not only just the ADLs, but now, okay, maybe they can do some more exercise so that they can reduce the likelihood like of the inflammation and the um, arthritis building back up in the future, anything like that too. 
Absolutely. And I'll take it a step further with, you know, knowing what you, you do as a therapist or understanding what you do as a therapist. It's important to remember that a lot of times patients can't do some of the strengthening and some of the range of motions because of the pain. Right. So you, you're not only providing them with, you know, a situation where they can be more comfortable and reduce their pain, but now you're putting them in a situation where they're capable of doing the exercises and the range of motion that you are trying to impart upon to them so that they can be stronger and they can have better flexibility to also contributes to them not only being able to do these activities that provides a better quality of life, but to sustain and continue to do those activities because that range of motion and that strength is necessary. It's not just the pain, it's the lack of strength and a lack of range of motion that is also a big, uh, a big hurdle for them to overcome. Okay, so we talked more about um, arthritis here. Like, what are other things, or like you said, anything that really ends in that itis almost? Yeah, so one of the really exciting areas that we're seeing great results now uh, coming out, and we've got a study that we're uh, in the process of writing up and hope to publish, if not by the end of 2018, maybe into early 2019, uh, is still an itis, but it's plantar fasciitis, which is a, a yes. essentially the, the damage to the bottom of the plantar, the bottom of the surface of the foot underneath uh, from the heel, sometimes stretching up to the bottom of the or to the underside of the toes. Um, that soft tissue under there, when it gets inflamed, it, it can be a real bugger because other than not walking, um, it's it's hard to not kind of constantly re-aggravate it. Uh, I, I'm sure you probably see quite a bit of that in your practice. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. This is one of the, like, plantar fascia, like, this is something that works so well with that. Um, more because I, I think it's one of those, like, they get so chronically irritated because people are on their feet all the time. And helping to just mitigate that pain initially so that they can do more. Because once they can start doing more, now they can get it under control so much faster. Yeah, yeah. And again, it just goes back to the process of photobiomodulation. And, you know, PBM works by helping people get through that inflammatory response. A lot of chronic conditions, patients just get stuck in in this 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 rut of inflammation begets more inflammation and they never really get through the inflammatory response is really designed to repair tissue. But mm -hmm. if you're not repairing it and you're just causing more and more inflammation, that's just this chronic state of, of being stuck. One of my colleagues likes to say that with regards to inflammation, you know, this goes to the Star Trek analogy. It's like you're putting the, the, the cells into hyperdrive and, and you're really getting <laughs> through that inflammatory response instead of just helping them manage it you get them through it and you allow the cells to do what they're trying to do in the inflammatory state. So you can move into other stages of healing, which is we call cell proliferation. And then we get into remodeling. So can that's go, definitely an area. Yeah. Adam, if you wouldn't mind then discussing too, like let's get out of like just the purely orthopedic uh, conditions here and let's go into even like stroke and TBI and where this is really going to. So you know, there's, there's a lot of areas that are being investigated. Um, quite extensively, uh, some of which, again, I mentioned with, with teeth and, and bone. Um, there's, there are a lot of people who are starting to look at light, even in digestive tract and, and, and other organ systems. You know, you made a good point. We focus on neuromuscular mostly, uh, right. orthopedic conditions, um, in part because of what we've been FDA cleared to work with, and largely because of the groups that we work with, like yourself, with physical therapy and chiropractic and, and orthopedic and pain management. A lot of times, these are neuromuscular. We've just but found the are, efficacy was with it. It just works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know it works, for sure. And because of that, there's now people are starting to look at saying, you know, again, going back to what's the basic mechanism of action for light because it operates on a cellular level cells and other organs and other systems can also respond to it and and this line of research is really just kind of starting to take notice uh, again like the digestive stuff I, I mean i don't know that literature yet i don't know that there's much out there yet but we know that there are people who contacted us and who are doing studies and who are trying to look into it um tendon regeneration still kind of in that neuromuscular but looking at different types of tissues response Neurological tissue is the other area that's kind of really, uh, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of people are, are really getting excited to figure out, you know, what can we do? How can we do it? And what kind of results are we going to get? And it's important to emphasize first and foremost that the dosing, the, the amount of energy you're putting in and the way you're delivering it 
and the frequency of those treatments. Those are things that are kind of refinements. Once you see that the tissue is going to respond in a favorable way, once you know that the tissue is capable, and a lot of this may be done with animals, unfortunately, you know, we know in science, we oftentimes do things on animals before we do them on humans. That's just from a, you know, human subjects protection standpoint. But we do know that some of the animal literature is starting to suggest that there are other systems within the body that can be evaluated. And again, the neurological system being one of the most exciting. We have a study that we were involved with um, in India that looks at neuro, uh, peripheral neuropathy, diabetic peripheral neuropathy, which is essentially when the, the sensation in the periphery, which typically ends up being the fingers and the toes or the feet and the hands, gets kind of impaired. And it's hard for people to appreciate how dangerous that can be for balance, um, how dangerous that could be for even if you have an open wound and you don't even know that it's open because unless you're looking at the bottom of your foot, uh, if you can't feel those pains and that can lead to infection and it, it can get really messy really quickly. Um, so the ability to kind of wake up those nerves again using laser and help the patients that have these, these neuropathies start to regain sensation, it influences their ability to detect balance changes in their feet. It, it influences their ability to detect if they're having sores and if those sores are opening and to, to be able to seek treatment for them. Um, and also just, again, going back to quality of life from an orthopedic standpoint, being able to 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 move with confidence because you're not in fear of losing balance. So that's kind of one of the areas that's it's really exciting neurologically looking at these peripheral neuropathies. Uh, we do have a study that, again, is wrapping up now. Uh, my understanding that is also should be submitted for publication you know, near the end of 2018 into 2019. Um, you, you also asked about uh, TBIs or traumatic brain injury yeah. uh, and stroke. Um, there is a, a fantastic investigator uh, by the name of Michael Hamblin, who's up in the uh, Harvard Medical, Harvard MIT, uh, Mass General community. I think he has an appointment across all three institutions and, and does a lot of publishing and is, I think, a pretty well-known expert in the laser community who has, has started to looking into some of this. And he recently published a review, and, and you know, I love the way he opened it up by just saying, you know, if you look at what the benefits are at laser uh, and photobiomodulation and, and the common evidence that we've seen clinically in, 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 in the basic world and what laser does by stimulating healing and, and keeping tissue from becoming necrotic. If you, have, if you have tissue that has been damaged and it doesn't heal, it'll die. And that necrotic tissue, that dead tissue, can be a whole other problem down, you know, in and of itself. The increased blood flow, the, the oxygenation, the, the improved cellular metabolism, all the things that we know photobiomodulation can do, why wouldn't this also be effective and helpful for brain damaged brain tissue? Um, so it's reasonable to think that if, if you can improve the health and the environment of, of tissue at the cellular level, why wouldn't it work on, on cortical or neurological tissue? Um, so the, the understanding is that it's, the promising research suggests that photobiomodulation may be helpful in having brain repair itself. Uh, if you have somebody who has a traumatic brain injury, you're essentially talking about uh, damage to the cortical tissue, the tissue that whether it be to drive digestion or whether it be for, for human movement uh, or even for thinking, that tissue, if it's damaged, leads to an impairment in, in that part of the system. So if we can stimulate what's called neurogenesis or the health, the improved health or even the development of new neural connections in the brain, um, upregulating what's uh, BDNF, which I, I forget what that is. It's a uh, brain-derived uh, neurotropic factor. There you go. Thank you. If we can upregulate the synthesis of that neurotropic factor, um, we can encourage synaptogenesis, which is another big fancy word that basically suggests the way nerves communicate is through something called a synapse. That if we can have nerves that are able to synapse or communicate with other nerves. We know that we can repair, recover, improve, even develop new connections in the brain to allow a person to recover from a traumatic brain instead of, again, scarring up or having this tissue just no longer function. And then the individual may just lose the capacity to do an action or to, to drive or, or um, operate an organ that may be vital for life. I'm excited to see, and again, I don't know that there's much out in here now, but even just like you said, like 
or or it's almost like a cognitive enhancement like okay or just the breakdown like okay there's just general inflammation in the brain for people like hey as we get older i mean that still can build up somewhat uh and i'd just love to see like okay as we learn more and more about it okay well what can it also be done for uh just for the everyday population to help any of that and i know there might not be anything out there about that right now but i well, see that be coming out in the future even well there is so that's okay. part of this, this review paper by that hamlin put out this year earlier yeah. this year he talked about some preliminary studies that are being done on healthy people so you actually hit the nail on the head i mean increased blood flow awesome. yeah. to the cortical tissue uh, tissue oxygenation allowing more of the tissue to get that vital oxygen so it can do its job um there is some preliminary evidence that there may be improvements in memory improvements in mood mm-hmm. uh improvements in cognitive function i mean you know you want to talk about sci-fi you can imagine people walking around with like light you know our baseball caps <laughs> having light i mean you could get really kind of quirky and weird but we, we don't really know this is a really kind of open poorly understood but exciting realm that can lead to you know optimizing cortical function and optimizing health and maybe you know you talked a little bit about it yourself and i mentioned on it earlier with with increased age we know that there's more of these free radicals that's kind of like almost a systemic mm-hmm. inflammation that if we can reduce this systemic inflammation who knows what kind of effect it's going to have i mean it, it is a very very exciting uh, area. And and with the chronic traumatic brain injury, um, that's the kind of the longstanding chronic, not being somebody who just had the injury, but maybe had it a long time ago and has learned to kind of deal with their limited capacity. The reports are showing that there may be some improvements in executive function, which is how our brain controls our movement with working memory, which is, you know, even a lot of healthy people take for granted how simplistic it is to utilize a fork or tie shoes. And this is where the occupational therapists oftentimes, you know, that's kind of what they really focus a lot of attention on is helping people either learn or relearn some very basic skills. When you have a traumatic brain injury, a lot of times after you get stabilized and now you've kind of hit a plateau in your recovery, now you have to start learning how to do things that may have been very easy in the past. And the reports are showing that there may be some improvement in this working memory. And again, with sleep, and we all know how fun, how helpful, how, how important for our health sleep is. Um, and the last point that he made in the paper that I thought was really interesting is using fMRI, which is functional magnetic resonance imaging. MRI is a way to look at the body and functional is looking at it in a more complex manner than just taking a snapshot. Um, that's been shown to have some modulation in, in some of the activation of parts of the brain um, that are important for coordinating the brain. So a lot of people don't realize that we've got sections of the brain that are involved for very specific activity, but then we have a part of the brain that's kind of like the conductor. And it's really important for the conductor to be able to kind of take all this information and, and coordinate it in such a way that we can be successful with our thoughts and our movements and our expressions uh, and even digestion. I mean, it's, it's a much more complicated system than we originally thought. And we just now realize how little we know when it comes to the brain. <laughs> so it's a promising area is what you're saying. Right? That's always yeah, an awesome thing to see. Very exciting. Very exciting area. So, Adam, I'm curious then. I know a little bit about the differences, but I actually want to even know a little more. Light Force, I mean, I know there are other brands out there. Like, what is the difference between that, like using the class three, the class four? I mean, you touched on the class three versus four a little bit before, but like what what are the differences in some of those things then too? So so the primary differences with power have to really do, I think, with three major areas. One is the rate at which you're delivering it. So how long a treatment takes. Mm-hmm. If you think of miles per hour, how long does it take you to get from point A to point B? depending on how far apart point A and point B are, if you drive faster, you get there quicker. So if you're trying to impart energy into a body, let's just say you're working on a shoulder, um, if you're using a lower class uh, system or a less powerful system, or even if you're using one of our systems, but you're not turning the power all the way up, you're affecting how long that treatment is going to take. Another area that class four is, I think, different from class three has to do with the amount of energy that you're able to get to depth. So if you're treating a low back or a neck or or any other deep tissue, we know that you lose a lot of the energy that you put in 
um, through a treatment as it's going through the different layers of the tissue. So much so that if you want to get energy deep, you have to think about how much am I putting on at the surface. And, and I, always, I always like to make the numbers really big and, and round to make them simple. If I'm putting one watt of energy in versus 20 watts of energy in, and I'm losing, let's just say, 50% of what I'm putting in, that one watt now goes down to a half a watt, whereas that 20 watt is still all the way up at 10 watts. So that's a 20-fold difference in the amount of energy that you're putting in at the surface, which influences how much energy you're getting deep. And in order to get that threshold, in order to get photobiomodulation to take place at deeper tissue, it's imperative that you're putting enough on the surface that you can get that threshold for deeper tissue. The third area has to do with the analgesia. We had done a study um, through our company and through one of our basic research labs where they put a neuron into a Petri dish and they basically shined um, a laser onto the, the neuron. And what they saw was that when the, the light was more powerful or brighter, the, the scientific term is irradiance, that there were something called varicosities where little branches off of the nerve started to develop. And those varicosities on a nerve that, that, transmit, that transmits um, sensitivity information like pain, if you put those varicosities into those nerves, you can slow down how fast that pain signal is moving. You can also reduce how large or how loud the signal of pain is to the brain. So by slowing it down and reducing the size of it, you can really put a little bit of a dent into how much pain or how much discomfort a person is in. And we call that, you know, clinically, we talk about that as analgesia. We can provide some analgesic effects. And I think that we've some of the patients that I work with you on, even at, at your clinic, we've been able to reduce their pain levels within a session or two um, pretty pretty profoundly. I know that you've got some problems with some good experience with some of the treatments that you've done since you've gotten your laser with that, right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, personally, yeah, I've, I've used it. I've, I've felt it for just any acute things that I've had uh, going on. But even just patients with longstanding pain uh, to have, and especially like, first visit, okay, maybe not completely gone, but to have a significant change in their pain where that when they stand up and okay, we maybe we're working on somebody's low back and like they bend forward and haven't been able to bend forward and especially not pain free in 20 years. And they're like, I mean, it's not a hundred percent, but it feels pretty darn good. Like you just see those effects and that's awesome. Like that's pretty profound right there. Yeah. It's a profound effect. It, it's, it's again, I think if you have somebody who's had 10 or 15 years of a low back pain problem and you can reduce their pain a little bit in a couple of sessions, it goes to a back to what we are saying about your ability as a clinician to do all the other things that you want to do to try to help them to recover fully. B it goes to their mood and their quality of life. Even if their pain is half of what it was. Um, the other thing that I think it, it really does is, is, it allows the process of healing to kind of get started again because a lot of these patients are in that chronic inflammatory state and they may have a lot of scar tissue going on. Whereas if you can start trying to get some healing going again, it, it's, it may take a while. It's not something that's necessarily going to be fixed in a single session, like you said, but you can really start to get a break, get kind of a, a break in, in the pattern of inflammation and start laying new tissue and new healthy tissue which is a, a really important thing. One of the things I want to emphasize with us is we have a patent on something called a, a large massage head or a massage ball, which I know you guys use quite a lot at your clinic. Yeah, um, that's that's the main one. That's the main go-to. Yeah, so that you know that that therapeutic effect that a patient gets, it's like getting a massage while they're getting laser. I like to think of that as the gravy. The meat and the potatoes is this photobiomodulation, but patients get essentially a warm therapeutic massage while they're getting their laser treatment, is it feels phenomenal. And compared to the alternative, you're talking about a non-pharmacological, non-invasive treatment for pain that really doesn't have a limit on the amount and the frequency that it can be administered. Compared to, let's say, an injection, um, you're putting all the, that, that toxic um, chemicals and, and you know, the steroid injections that are not good for bone, that are not good systemically, that can, even if they're providing some relief, can only be done every 90 to 120 or even six months, 90 or 120 days or even six months, depending on the frequency. Um, it's not good for the body and it's not fixing anything. It's just a big band aid to help relieve some of the pain 
but laser is going to get you comparable. We've got one study that looked at, I think, compared lidocaine to pain, and, and it's, it's, it, the study isn't perfect, but it did show that there were comparable results for people with low back pain um, who had a lidocaine injection versus laser. But again, you're dealing with a non-pharmacological treatment, and the long-term effects with continued treatment are, are, are night and day because you, you can continue to do the laser. You can't just get a, a, a lidocaine injection every every 15, 20 days. It's, it's just not yeah, healthy. Yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> so the, the surgical option, obviously, would be one of the extreme treatments. And, you know, if you're, if you're going down that path, whether it be a joint replacement or, or a low back or a neck, and you're, you're, you're up to the point where you're kind of like, wow, you know, I think I may have to have surgery. Um, it, it's certainly worth considering whether or not a, 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 a package or a, or course of treatment with laser can't really make a big improvement before you go that surgical route and before you go that invasive route or before you go that, you know, pharmacological injection route. So I yeah, think that's take, another, take another three, four weeks and try it and see where it gets you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Adam, I, I know one of the things we want to touch on was cost. Like, all right, what's, what's this setting somebody back? So, you know, most of the time, you know, patients need to think that, that, that how much are they spending for their current treatment? How much are they paying for medications? How frequently are they doing the medications? How much are they paying for all the different doctor's visits? How often do they have a copay? How big are their deductibles? So there is a cost because right now the insurance is not really um, covering it oftentimes. And if it is, it's not cost effective for the clinician who's investing all the money for the cost of the laser, that there is a cash expense that a patient will typically have to pay. Um, and we do think that a standard course of treatment, because we're trying to get through the healing stage, should be on the order of around six treatments. Um, there may be some people who respond if they're young and really healthy and they have a really acute condition, they may be able to get healed in that three to four range. Uh, if you have a patient who has a long-standing chronic back problem, you know they may need ten to twelve treatments. But the package of six is typically kind of what we've seen is a good place to start. Um, and 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 a package of six at the national average is two hundred ninety-nine dollars for six treatments. Um, and and different clinics scale that based on their socioeconomic community. You, you know, the New York Manhattan area, it might not be cost effective for a clinician to charge two ninety nine because of the overhead. Um, whereas if you get out into some of the more rural areas, there may be the ability to go down. Um, but that you know that that all comes down to the ability to to pay for the cost of the laser, which is a it's one of the one of the clinicians I work with likes to make the analogy, and I think this is a good one. As a clinic, if you buy a laser, you're essentially investing in a car for that cl- for that for that practice. That's about right. And and the cost of the car, you know, has to be offset um, to to provide the care. And because the insurance companies right now are not providing the return uh, on the treatment, that it you know it has to be shared by the patient. And and patients, I think, will appreciate uh, all the other areas that they may be saving money. Uh, again, with copays and with medications, and I've seen all kinds of crazy devices that people use to try to reduce pain. You know, back braces, knee braces, um, all kinds of things. There's all kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff. Watch QVC or some of these, uh, you know, on television um, uh, uh, sales uh, shows, uh, and you'll see all kinds of things that'll that'll claim to make you better. Uh, I would encourage you to try laser. Uh, if you can find a community or, or a practice near you, and I know you know the Robbins Group uh, does really good with it, you you get a laser uh, treatment with them and see the effect of that. I think you're putting your money in a much more uh, a much smarter investment in your health um, than some device that's really just going to maybe lead to problems in other areas. You know, let's take the pain off of your back, and then next thing you know, your knee hurts or your shoulder hurts because. The way we move as humans, something has to take <laughs> up that. We can't just, you know, cut the back out. We've got to shift it. So that's that goes back to my biomechanics training. That if you if you've got back pain and you just eliminate the the back, um, you're probably going to end up having neck or, or leg or ankle or knee or pain somewhere down the line. Yeah, something else is usually on the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Adam, if, if people are just interested in the life force. I mean, where do they go? How do they find more out about this? I mean, this research, anything like that, if they want to look into it further. So, um, our website is really quite fantastic. It, it provides 
uh, information for the, the the experienced clinician who already has laser to the the novice patient who doesn't necessarily believe laser works because somebody said, oh, it's snake oil. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of information. So a great place to start is certainly with our, our company's website. Um, and if you go to lightcure.com, and that's L-I-T-E-C-U-R-E.com, um, that's the parent website for our company. Underneath that website, there's a link to go to Lightforce, L-I-G-H-T, F-O-R-C-E. That is the medical branch of our company. Uh, and from there, you can get some information for patients, for clinicians. We have um, a patient or a clinic finder option that if you're in a community and you don't know who may or may not have uh, a laser available, uh, you certainly can look there to find out who has one of our lasers. And I'll make sure to put links for that because like that's that's a big if you just want to go try it out somewhere wherever people are at too that's huge. Yeah, and I think that you know most of the clinicians have lasers understand that a patient needs to have some understanding that it works. Uh, I don't think a lot of uh, dem a lot of clinics are against the idea of doing a demonstration treatment so that a patient can see and feel and understand it a little bit more than just shelling money out of their pocket without anything uh, leading up to that. Um, but from the standpoint of, uh, you know, getting the information, you know, that's that's always a great place to start is our, our company's website. Um, you could always shoot me an email um, at adam.marmon, M-A-R-M-O-N, at lightcure, L-I-T-E-C-U-R-E.com. Uh, you can always shoot me an email. And again, if you uh, start off with a clinic that has laser and ask them questions, if they can't answer them, typically they have a, a, a rep. Uh, within our company that they can reach out to. Um, I have been working directly with our director of clinical development to stay on top of all the new and exciting uh, findings that are coming out in the in the literature on, uh, kind of on a weekly to, to monthly basis. So, you know, we're able to support the clinicians that may be treating a unique condition. Um, if they have questions on dosage uh, guidelines or, or recommendations for how to treat something that may be a little more unique, um, they certainly are able to reach out to us and, and if we'll do the homework and do the digging to try to get the answers for them. If they have uh, questions that we don't know off the top of our heads. Adam, this has been fantastic. And every time we chat, I'm still learning stuff, uh, other things I want to try. So I really appreciate that. Uh, it was my pleasure. And thanks for having us. It's always great to get the word out and, you know, let people realize that this is something that it, I, there's no doubt my mind is going to continue to grow. The question is, um, are people who are suffering now or who don't know about it now really able to take advantage of finding the information, finding the clinic, getting the treatment? And, you know, we live in a world right now where the pharmacological treatments are oftentimes just causing problems elsewhere, whether it be, you know, too many steroids or too many drugs in general or addiction. Um, that this is an option that, that people really need to consider to explore and, you know, why it may cost a couple bucks out of pocket. You, you think you'd be pleasantly surprised to see the results. Yeah, a lot of times, I mean, it comes down to be, hey, it's an extra copay type thing. Um, but doing that a couple of times, like you said, versus causing a lot of damage to uh, certain organs can always be a nice trade-off, I think, too. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, hey, everybody, make sure, hey, I'll like cure.com, but I'm going to check out, or I'm going to put up links uh, to the Clinic Finder, too, uh, just in case anybody wants to go check it out uh, wherever you're at. But Adam, thank you so much again. My pleasure, Nick. Great talking to you.